Thanks for joining us. You're about to listen to another Sunday worship service from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Good morning. Welcome to Clarkston United Methodist Church. I'm Megan Walther. I'm one of the clergy leaders here, and we have a lot of announcements to share with you before we jump into our time of worship this morning. The first thing that I want to let you know about this morning is our adult creative workshop and our art club for kids. Both of these opportunities are coming up in April, but you can register as soon as you'd like, and in fact, we encourage you to register soon. The Adult Creative Workshop starts April 16th, and these are 90-minute workshops based on different artists, styles, techniques. Uh, both of these workshops are led by Cheryl Kelly, who, if you know her, you know she's awesome. And uh, I've seen some of the kits she's putting together for these events. They look very cool. The Adult Creativity Workshop is also for middle school and high school youth who are attending with an adult and there are options for in-person or virtual engagement in these classes. Art Club for Kids is for kids ages three and up. Each workshop is 45 minutes long and uh, you can check out the details on dates and times on our website. You can register on our website. There is a small cost to attending and that covers the materials that you'll need to make your fantastic art creations. So check out those opportunities to engage in some creativity and we look forward to having you join them in April. Coming up in March is our Easter scavenger hunt. Saturday, March 27th from 1 to 3 p.m. Shelby Ettinger is the mastermind and the contact person for this event. There's no re registration required. It's an outdoor event and it's for families. Everybody is welcome. Invite your friends, invite your family, your neighbors. Anybody can come to this Easter scavenger hunt event. It's kind of a drop-in situation. Come at any point between one and three, and it should be a lot of fun. So we hope to see you there. Holy Week is just around the corner, and there are a lot of different offerings for Holy Week. So I'm going to take you through the highlights right now before we start our worship for this morning. Monday, Thursday is April 1st. And it is a virtual service, so you'll participate at home. However, it will be streamed as a live broadcast from the sanctuary. So we will be with you leading worship in real time, and we're going to take virtual communion together. You heard me right, virtual communion. So you'll want to have your cup of grape juice and your bread on hand at home, ready to go for the service. We're going to talk about what we're doing, why it matters, and share in a holy meal together. So join us on Monday, Thursday. Good Friday is Friday, April 2nd. Join us at noon or at 7 o'clock for virtual worship. We're going to focus on Jesus' last words on the cross. And so we invite you to join us for this holy moment of remembering. On Saturday, April 3rd, we will be hosting a special Easter vigil outdoors. So bring your folding chair, wear your face mask, Make sure you've got something warm if it's cold outside. And we're going to worship together on the night before Easter and have an awesome time of worship as we gather together outdoors. 
Finally, some news about Easter. So you already know that you are invited to join us for an awesome virtual Easter service at 9 a.m. or again at 11 a.m. And we've got special music. We've got brass. We've got Easter flowers. We've got an uplifting Easter message. It's going to be an awesome service. So we're excited for you to join us for that. In addition, for those who feel safe to participate, we will also be adding an in-person worship option for Easter Sunday, 9 a.m., and again at 11 a.m., the same time as our virtual services, we will gather together in the sanctuary. So we're excited to offer you this, and we want to let you know a little bit about what to expect. These in-person opportunities on Easter are going to be a hybrid experience, experience, which means the sermon and the prayer and some of those other elements are going to be live in the room, happening uh, right there in the midst of the sanctuary and we'll also be able to share some of the best of the virtual experience as we worship together. There are some things we just won't be able to replicate at this point in the sanctuary, like, uh, you know, brass musicians and things like that. And so we're going to use technology to our advantage to offer uh, some amazing worship uh, visuals and music and some of those other pieces as we combine and create this unique hybrid worship experience. We think it'll be a really awesome time to be together. And uh, as, all, as with all other events at church, face masks, social distancing are required and expected. And to keep the capacity of the sanctuary under uh, 50%, we will be requiring registration for Easter Sunday worship. You will be able to make your seating reservation for Easter at the end of next week. So check back uh, on our website later to get the details. But for now, please know that this opportunity is out there. We're excited to offer it to you. And we hope to see you, whether you're online or in person, on Easter Sunday. Wow, that is a lot of information to take in. And we're ready to worship now. We're ready to set our hearts and our minds on God. And specifically this morning, Jesus, and the difference that Jesus makes in the things that we value. So I invite you wherever you are, just take a deep breath with me. Breathe in, breathe out. Are you ready? Let's worship God together. Please join us in the call to worship this morning. The words will be on the screen. You're invited to say the response in bold along with me. To know the warmth of love. To have assurance that someone cares. To be confident of our worth. To be bold, to love in return. To be watched over with grace. To be accepted as we are. This is to know a bit of God. Then let us worship our God. So that his blessing 
Easter, we recommit to following Jesus and refocus on God. As part of that process, sometimes we offer prayers of confession, which is another way of saying sometimes we don't get things right. Sometimes we need to change how we're thinking and how we're acting. Please join us in an attitude of prayer as we offer a prayer of confession this morning. Jesus, you invite us to follow you, but following you is not always comfortable, and we like comfort. Jesus, you invite us to place our faith at the center of our lives, but often we feel like we don't have enough time. Jesus, you call us to bless those who are hungry, those who are sick, and those who are without resources or power. But sometimes it feels better to focus exclusively on our own situation. Forgive us, we pray. Help us to let go of the things that hold us back. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. As a forgiven people, let this be a moment when we recommit to following Jesus. My name is Shelby Ettinger and I am the Children's Education Coordinator here at CUMC. Each Sunday morning, we have our virtual Sunday School program. And in this past week, we were talking about how Easter is a time for us to continue to grow closer to God. And I wanted to take some time with you to share some of the highlights of how our children thought we could do this. The first was the all important idea of prayer and how prayer is a great way to grow closer to God. It doesn't need to be anything fancy, and it is just a way to chit-chat with God. Next, we talked about the idea of being you, and as one of our kids so wonderfully put it, God made you you, so you must be pretty good already. Finally, we talked about the idea of love, and how this was the most important message that Jesus taught us, and that is one of the greatest ways that we can grow closer to him. If you are interested in having your child participate in our virtual Sunday school or participating yourself as a Sunday school teacher, please reach out to me for more details. I also wanted to take this time to talk about some of the other things we have coming up in our children's ministries. First is our Easter scavenger hunt, which will take place on March 27th from 1 to 3 p.m. 
Children and families will have the chance to run around completing a scavenger hunt for eggs while learning parts of the Easter story. There is a lot to do before the actual event on March 27th and we need your help. We are looking for candy and egg carton donations. All donations can be left on the wire racks in the circle drive. We are also looking for Easter egg stuffers and volunteers for the day of the event. Any and all help is greatly appreciated. If you want to learn more about the event or are interested in volunteering, there is information on our website, clarkstonumc.org. Another one of those big events that we have at CUMC is Vacation Bible School. I am happy to announce that VBS will be in person this year from July 26th to July 30th, and our theme is Adventure Island. We are still in the early stages of planning and more details will be coming soon. But in the meantime, if you have any questions about the event or are interested in volunteering, I am happy to answer your questions. It's always a joy to hear about what our Sunday school and what our children's program is doing. So thank you to Shelby for all of your good work. We're about to hear a scripture passage now from the Gospel of Luke, and it's one that often makes us uncomfortable. Perhaps you've heard it before. Perhaps this is the first time. Let's listen to Maya as she reads these words for us this morning. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I watched a show on Netflix recently called Win the Wilderness. It's a really short single season show put out by the BBC about a handful of British couples who are competing for the chance to inherit an Alaskan homestead in the middle of hundreds of acres of undisturbed wilderness. As part of the show, they had to comp complete several survival tasks to kind of prove their worth, including things like building an emergency shelter, making a fire. Um, altogether, sort of in a classic BBC fashion, it was a rather cheerful and laid-back competition. It was a joy to watch these these couples sort of chat and say, well, I really hope I did well, but I, you know, I don't know. I hope the best for them too. There's no question that the homestead they were competing to win was 
gorgeous. The property was gorgeous. The house had been built by hand out of local lumber, and there were hundreds of miles separating this property from the next town. There were no official roads to get there. In fact, they had to have an airplane fly them to this homestead when they wanted to visit it. The images of the Alaskan wilderness in this series were just stunning. You look at this place and you go, this is beautiful. But for the couples who wanted to win the property, part of the consideration of the show was whether or not they would actually be able to make it in the middle of nowhere. Would they be able to live there? I mean, bears are a common occurrence. Half the year, there's not really sunlight. Electricity in this remote homestead is limited. Water had to be collected and stored by hand on the property. So it wasn't just a competition to win. It was also this process of discernment for these couples whether or not they really wanted to live in such extreme isolation. To win the house and the property, that was a prize, sure. But it was also a dramatic change in lifestyle that they would be committing to take on. It's a prize where if you want to win it, you have to be pretty clear on what you're willing to give up. What you want in life. What is important to you? And those are the kinds of questions that are really at the heart of Jesus' conversation in Luke 18. He's talking to a ruler, someone who has power, who we discover throughout the passage is rich. In other gospels, we're told this man is young as well, but Luke doesn't mention that, so we're left wondering, is this in fact the same guy? Is he young? Luke's gospel doesn't say. So this ruler initially approaches Jesus asking about eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a little bit of back and forth banter in this exchange. And some commentaries suggest that there might have been a little bit of snark involved because the ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do? Maybe he's buttering him up. Maybe he's trying to get an answer that he likes. And Jesus responds right away, well, why do you call me good? And, oh, by the way, the answer to your question, any child could have told you to keep the commandments. And then the ruler kind of snarks back, well, I've kept all the commandments since I was a youth, which kind of makes us wonder why he's asking Jesus the question in the first place. If he already knows what the commandments are and he's been keeping the commandments, why ask Jesus the question, right? And Jesus follows up on the conversation and says, you know, there is one thing missing. There's one thing you lack. Just go sell everything that you own and give some money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Now, when the ruler hears these words, he becomes very sad because he's extremely rich. And that's kind of the end of the story for the man. The man was sad. He owned many things that we're not told of a redemptive moment. There's no uh, response where the ruler comes back and we get a different answer. And then Jesus goes on. He continues the lesson by saying to his disciples, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a passage of scripture that has been making people uncomfortable for centuries. The New Interpreter's Bible Commentary 
outlines just a few of the ways that people have tried to soft-sell this passage over the generations. Some manuscripts of scripture, in fact, old ancient manuscripts, have started to substitute the word rope for camel. It's easier to fit a rope through the eye of a needle than a camel. Now, it kind of seems it like it might be more possible with a rope than a camel. A rope is smaller, okay. Uh, in fact, the words in Greek are very similar. It's camelos versus kamelos. The spelling, extremely similar. Um, so you can see how that swap out might have occurred as people kind of looked at it and thought wistfully, maybe this is what Jesus really meant here. But still, it would be an impossible task to thread a rope through a tiny needle. So then in the Middle Ages, this legend arose about, well, there was this particular gate on the way into Jerusalem, and it was very tiny. And the only way a camel could fit through this gate was for the load to be taken off of its back, and then for the camel to get down on its knees and to crawl through this tiny gate. Well, unfortunately, there is no historical evidence for such a gate, and also there were many other gates into Jerusalem, so if you truly had a camel, why wouldn't you just walk it around to some other gate rather than going through this whole process of taking the load off the camel and the camel scrunching down? It just doesn't really make sense unless we're trying to detract from what Jesus is saying in this scripture passage. And then others have tried to argue, okay, well, Jesus does offer these words, but in fact, Jesus has like two tiers of disciples. I mean, he's got the kind of regular, ordinary, everyday Christians, uh, like you and me, you know, he wouldn't ask this of us. And then he's got those special, perfect, extra Christians. And those are the ones Jesus is really talking to in this passage. Well, I don't know that I love that explanation either. Like, we're just kind of regular Christians, and there's a few who are called to go above and beyond. That's not really how Jesus worked. He invited everybody to the table. It doesn't really make sense that he would have kind of the exclusive super Christian club. So then other people have said, okay, this passage, it's not really about us at all. It's about Jesus in this unique moment with this unique man. And this guy is clearly greedy. So Jesus' words apply to him. They don't really apply to us. Um, and this is particularly an appealing explanation in an individualistic society but it falls short, because if you remember, Jesus tells the man to sell his possessions and give to the poor, and so the poor are involved here. It's not really just a story about Jesus and this man. There are other people whose livelihoods and outcomes are dependent on this man taking Jesus at his word and following through. It's a story in which the man and Jesus are connected, interconnected, in fact, with others, with those in poverty. Any of these explanations are possible, I guess, in theory, but most of Jesus' interactions and lessons and parables have long-lasting wisdom for us generations later, and we do well to heed Jesus' words. I don't think it helps us to try and push away the scripture passage, even though it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. What's interesting is really how quick we are to try to make an alternative explanation, to look away and say that's for them, that's not for us. It's a conversation that really 
is uncomfortable for those of us who own nice things, who have some money in a savings account. We look at this passage and we go, ooh, really, Jesus? Really? Go sell everything and give to the poor? We know that Jesus often spoke in metaphor and hyperbole. We've got the passage where Jesus says, make sure you take the log out of your own eye before you worry about the stick or the speck in your neighbor's eye. Well, he's not literally talking about a log in our eye, right? We know this is how Jesus works. He speaks to us in stories. He speaks to us in rich illustrations so we can take the wisdom back into our lives. And so we're left somewhere in between acknowledging that Jesus' instruction here to the rich ruler may not be something that we need to take on literally today. And on the other hand, the understanding that the question Jesus poses to this rich man is incredibly weighty and significant. And in fact, invites us to reconsider even today how we handle our wealth and how we place value on the things in our lives. Not quite literal, yet we can't ignore it. This was not the only time that Jesus spoke about wealth in the Gospels. He spoke about it a lot. And in fact, he begins Luke's Gospel by proclaiming, I've come to bring good news to the poor, the same poor that he instructs the rich ruler to give to in this passage. Scripture as a whole mentions money and wealth uh, well over 800 times. So it's a matter of significant importance in the Bible. It's something that we can't shy away from. It's something we have to talk about as Christians, as people of faith. And so sometimes we look to examples. We say, okay, well, who kind of lived this out? Who has done this well? One of the people that I think really took Jesus' commandment to heart and took it seriously was the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley. Wesley lived in 18th century England. There was a lot of poverty, as there is now. And John Wesley himself grew up in poverty. But as an adult, he got a teaching position at Oxford, and suddenly, with a regular salary coming in, he was quite well off. He was being paid at least 30 pounds a year, his records show, which would have been a really comfortable salary for a single person living at that time. And for a while, he was simply contented to live his life like that, a comfortable life earning the salary. But then there was an experience that he had with somebody who was poor that changed his perspective. So Wesley was at Oxford and he had just purchased some really nice paintings, drawings, pictures, what have you, for the walls of his room. And I imagine he was feeling quite pleased with himself, looking about, saying, ah, that picture goes perfectly right there. Who knows the inner workings of Wesley's mind in that moment. But then one of the chambermaids at the school came to his door. And he noticed it was a cold winter day and she had nothing to keep her warm except for a thin linen gown that she was wearing. She didn't have something warm. She didn't have adequate protection from the cold. And John Wesley reached into his pocket to give her some money to buy a coat. Because that's kind of the kind of guy he was. And then he realized he had no money left. Because he'd spent his money on these pictures that were hanging on his wall. And immediately the thought that struck him in classic John Wesley fashion was that 
the Lord would not have been pleased with the way that he spent his money. In fact, he famously asked himself, and I'm going to read this part because it's a quote from Wesley, Will thy master say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? John Wesley paints a vivid picture for us, doesn't he? Perhaps as a result of this incident in 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he could have more money to give to the poor like this woman. He records that one year his income was 30 pounds and his living expenses were 28 pounds, so he had two pounds to give away to the poor. And then the next year his income doubled, but he still managed to live on 28 pounds. And so then he had 32 pounds to give away to the poor. And then in his third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. And instead of letting his expenses go up with his income, he kept his expenses to 28 pounds and he was able to give away 62 pounds. Wesley was a meticulous record keeper, so we know all these numbers exactly. The fourth year, he received 120 pounds, and again, expenses at 28, he was able to give away 92 pounds to the poor. Well over uh, that two pounds that he started with, a significant portion of his income was given away every single year. Wesley felt that a Christian should not merely tithe, a tithe being the mandate that we find in the Hebrew Bible for people of faith to give away 10% of their income in response to God's goodness. That 10% mark is the tithe that people often talk about. Wesley felt like, hey, that's not enough. 10% is not nearly enough when people are hungry and people are cold and people are suffering. Instead, he said, we should give away all of our extra income after family and creditors are taken care of. He believed that with increasing income, Christians should not raise their standard of living, but instead should give away more and more and more money. Wesley continued this practice throughout his life, even with his, when his income rose to be over 1,400 pounds in a year. Now, part of this is he was a single man. He had no family to take care of, so he had no need for savings. He wasn't trying to feed kids, put them through school. And so as soon as he got money out in, he was able to put it out. And he reports that he never held on to 100 pounds or more at any given time. He really, as soon as he made money, he gave it away. This is pretty radical. And in fact, it was so countercultural, even for Wesley's day, that tax collectors did not buy it. They did not, they simply did not believe him that this is what he was doing with all of his money. And so one year, the English tax commissioners wrote to Wesley. Uh, they looked at his tax return and they wrote him a letter and they said, we cannot doubt, but you have a plate for which you have hitherto neglected to make an entry, which is a fancy way of saying, uh, hey, Wesley, you're rich. And at this point, you're famous, you're well off. You're telling us you really don't own any silver plate that you want to pay some taxes on. All rich and famous people own silver, Wesley. You must clearly be lying to us to try to get out of your taxes. And Wesley wrote back, in classic Wesley fashion, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol 
This is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many round me want bread. Good old John Wesley. He is a remarkable guy. He was a remarkable guy. And that's part of why a movement formed around him that became the United Methodist Church eventually down the road. In many ways, we aspire to be that kind of Christian. We aspire to have those kinds of principles. We aspire to be that person who says, I'm making this commitment. Well, I have to confess to you all, um, I'm not sure what the equivalent of 30 pounds is today in 2021. I didn't, uh, I, I just don't know. But I do have a few pictures on my wall. You probably do too. And it would be a tall order to live the kind of ascetic life that John Wesley did. I don't know that we can quite take our faith to that level that he does. And yet, we're still a countercultural people. We're still living in a way that our society does not understand. So one example for you, my husband Joel and I tithe to our churches. And I know many of you all tithe too, whether you offer 10% or some other percentage of what you make or some intentional annual gift that you give. And honestly, there are moments when I look around at our peers, people our age who've been out of school for a comparable amount of time uh, as we have, and I wonder, like, how do they have the money to do the things that they're doing, or at least the things that they're posting pictures of on social media? Uh, traveling pre-COVID, sometimes even now, uh, home renovations, any number of things. It's easy to look at the pictures and go, oh my gosh, uh, how do they have the resources for that? Well, honestly, some of our peers are lawyers after grad school or they're doctors or, you know, they're just in a different income bracket than clergy are. But we also have friends who are social workers or teachers who kind of went down that similar path as a clergy person. The truth is, we all choose to use what we have in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with that because a picture only shows you so much. We see what's on the surface. We don't always know the story behind what made these things possible, what sacrifices were put in place to provide a trip or to enable a renovation, right? And one of the ways Joel and I have chosen to use our money is to give to our churches, to give to other institutions that matter to us, like the seminary we attended. And we give 10% of our income to the congregations that we serve, in addition to other gifts that we make to nonprofits, to uh, charitable um, organizations. And it's a commitment we've made since the beginning of our marriage. For us, it comes off the top before anything else. And honestly, uh, there's only so much any of us can do. There's always ripples in the pond with each decision that we make to do with a limited resource like money. And some of our friends are committed to paying on a mortgage, to pay on student debt, uh, to take care of aging parents. So each of us have things that are really vitally important that we're choosing to do with what we have. I know you are too. All of us struggle with these decisions. How do we make the most with what we have? How do we prioritize the things that we value and make sure that there's enough to also uh, take care of the basics? Now, I'm sharing what we're doing not to be like, hey, look at us, but just simply to say this is what we've decided to do. It's a spiritual decision for us, and that's why we've chosen to do it. And giving away 10% of our income is, it's radical in today's culture. 
It's also an aspiration that's probably not possible for a large segment of the United States population that's living paycheck to paycheck in jobs that don't offer a living wage. You may be watching this thinking that's just not a thing that our family can do. And I mean, honestly, the tithe that Joel and I have chosen to make is a reflection in some ways of our privilege. We're able to do this. The truth is, though, I don't really spend too much time thinking about what we do give. We almost pretend like that money is not there in the way that we approach our finances. It's accounted for, and as soon as it comes in, it goes out. And we make our decision at the beginning of each year, what's possible, can we pull this off? And uh, then we set up an electronic funds transfer to our churches, and, you know, that's kind of that. And then the ripples in the pond come after that, okay, now we have this other pool of money, now that that is taken care of and the giving is accounted for, what's left? What are we going to do? I spent a lot of time, though, thinking about what else we could give, what else we could do. Because the truth is, 10% feels like a lot uh, in some cases, but for us, for our family, because this has been an ongoing commitment, it doesn't feel that radical to me, to us. And I look at stories like Jesus and the rich ruler. I look at stories like John Wesley giving away everything. And I think, oh my gosh, there's so much more that Jesus could be calling us to. We're not living that kind of simplistic, frugal life that Wesley did. We're not selling everything. And I get it. In some ways, it's not a literal call that Jesus is issuing here. I, I don't think that Jesus wants us to eat gruel every single day as we sit shivering in the cold. That's not what the Christian faith is about. We know that. Jesus is calling us to be a blessing to others. And that's really at the root of this call. That's at the core of this call. But the scripture passage, if we're being really honest this interaction with the ruler, the, the bit about the eye of the needle and the camel, it's uncomfortable. Truthfully, most of us don't like talking about money. You may even be listening to this message thinking, oh, I don't like hearing about money. But this passage applies to so much more than wealth or income. This passage is about our outlook on life in general, Decisions that we make broadly. So set aside the money thing for just a minute. Set that aside. As we think about the ruler, most of us don't like this idea that we might have to give things up or give things away or rethink how we prioritize our lives, for that matter, when it comes to Jesus or to our faith or to our faith community. You know, I'm not talking just about money here. We are uncomfortable with the idea of exchanging one thing for another. We're uncomfortable with the idea of laying something aside. We're uncomfortable with the idea that we may have to stretch ourselves. What if we stretch ourselves too thin? That's the question we're constantly asking. And I get it. Me too. I'm right there with you. These questions are not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. It's challenging. The thing is, Though we do understand this idea in other areas of life, I don't think it's any easier in other areas, but we do understand what it means to take on one thing and lay aside another. 
For example, if we want to live in the Alaskan wilderness, like the couples on the TV show, you know, by definition, we're going to have to give some things up. That's just the way it works when you choose to live in a place like that. And we know it to be true. You all know it to be true. To pursue one dream, sometimes we have to lay aside other dreams. And that can be difficult. Nobody likes to do that. But that's part of living this life. In some ways, following Jesus is exactly like this story with the rich ruler. Following Jesus is like moving to the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. You can't live in a remote location and also expect to receive DoorDash. I mean, you just can't. It's simple and it's silly, but you get what I'm saying. We give up certain things to attain other things. And sometimes it truly is all or nothing. Through this story, Jesus invites us into a conversation on what we value. How far are we willing to go in our faith walk? What are we willing to let go of in order to grow on our faith journey? What is truly important to us and what's not? What are we willing to lay aside so that something else might be possible? I don't know what kinds of decisions you're in the middle of today. I don't know the intimate details of each person watching this, how you're navigating life with your family, whether you're caring for an aging parent or you're making decisions about whether to move or not, to take a job, decisions about school, about health, about grief. But I want to end this message by offering a prayer for all of us that John Wesley often used that places us firmly in God's hands as we consider what's next, as we consider what we value most. It's a prayer that says, Lord, I'm ready to do that thing that you're calling me to. Jesus truly makes a difference in what we value, in how we look at the world. And so I offer this prayer now to you. It's called Wesley's Covenant Prayer with some of the pronouns changed from the personal to the collective so that we all might be included. Will you join me in an attitude of prayer? We are no longer our own, but yours. Put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for thee or laid aside for thee exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let us be full. Let us be empty. Let us have all things. Let us have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. We all do, Lord. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are ours and we are yours so be it. And the covenant which we have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. As we follow Jesus today, may we not be afraid. May we be ready to listen to God's call. May we be ready to face the challenges head on. In Jesus' name, amen.
Teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do it as for thee. The scripture for today, as Megan shared with us, of course, has one coming to Jesus with a question that led to so much more. I think prayer is often like that. At least it is for me. I come to God with questions. I even come to God with requests. Sometimes I've come to God with demands. But if I remain open to listening to what he says to me, it can become so much more. In that spirit, I hope that you will right now collect your own thoughts the request that you would want to bring before God, both the worries and concerns and prayers for health and healing, as well as the joys and celebrations. And let's bring them together to the Lord in this moment of prayer. Gracious, loving, and eternal God, funny how we enter into moments like this without really trying, scripting it. We, we have our expectations. We have the amount of time we can give to it. So we enter in and we engage with you or probably more honestly tell you what you need to know. We think you need to know. All the while sometimes missing the best part the part where after we have asked and laid it out for you, we just pause and wait to hear what you would invite us to think about, to hear what you would say to us, to hear what you would teach us. Today, Lord, I ask you to allow us to be willing to sit with you just a bit longer, not only in this prayer, but in the days to come to reflect on truths that have been revealed to us today, that all too often it is our agenda that is set before us, not your agenda. It is the way we see the world. It's the way we see ourselves. It's the way we see our possessions. We think they are our possessions. Instead of understanding that these things that we have are important, fun, great, meaningful, yes, but nearly as important as our relationship with you. Help us to be humbled enough, blessed enough by grace, so that whether our possessions are few or many, we would never allow our possessions to own us. We would remain open to be able to hear your word and then not only change our direction, but change our lives. I pray, Lord, for those who ask for healing today. And I pray that those prayers would be met in a way that not only is real as you see it, but real as they experience it. I pray that as we ask for specific acts of healing, what will be revealed is your presence in the midst of that healing. I ask as we pray for the things that we need, yes, even for the things we want, we would be led to know you are what we need the most 
and we would be recreated, that you would be the one we want the most. You make all the difference, Lord. You make all the difference in our prayers, in our lives, in our hopes, in our dreams. So thank you. Thank you right now for being with us in this holy moment. And as we continue to pray and wait upon you, I ask you to help us listen as Anna and Morgan guide us through the prayer which you taught us to pray. And as they share those words, may they be the words that shape us. To God be the glory as we now come together as one in the holy prayer that we pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. My name is John Lawrence, and I am a member of the generosity team here at Clarkston UMC. Since my wife Sally and I joined the church a few years ago, we have been witness to the many mission and outreach programs CUMC has been and is currently engaged in. This has moved us greatly as over the past years we have been involved in outreach and mission work, which has provided us a foundation for the realization of the importance of this work. There is no doubt that there has always been a need to reach out to those who have fallen on hard times, especially as we have seen from weather-related events and more recently the pandemic, which we find ourselves in. Seeing people out of work, losing their homes, and not having food to eat is heartbreaking. Who would have thought we would be witness to such hardships over a year ago? It just goes to show that there will always be a need to extend ourselves and give what we can, whether it be a family member, a neighbor, or people we don't even know. Christine Miller wrote in A Generous Life, the journey of generosity begins with a fundamental understanding that God is the source of everything. Our relationships, skills, and even our wealth are blessings from our Creator. Being sealed by faith means we understand we are not self-made, but God-made. Finding our way home involves giving the glory and thanks to God for His eternal generosity. In closing, I invite you to invest in the ministry of Clarkston UMC by making a financial gift. You may give through our website at clarkstonumc.org or by texting to give using the number on the screen. You may also mail checks to 6600 Walden Road, Clarkston, Michigan. Thank you for your continued support and have a blessed day.
we begin to succeed when the cares of our lives begin and end with the hurt of others yeah we begin to breathe when the wounds of others become relieved with the love of others oh. he who looks around to find who's in need has made the best investment as a human being you know that he who looks around to find who's in need Has made the best investment in his legacy I say that love will never force Love will never quit Love ain't never lose And love ain't never miss All things lasting never Following Jesus truly does make the difference in what we value in this life. So may we go forward from this time of worship as people who are not afraid to face challenging issues or challenging conversations. May we be empowered to follow Jesus today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You've been listening to the Sunday Worship Service from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.